Testing, the modern testing podcast. Join your hosts, Alan. God! Now I'm mad! <laughs> and Brent. I am mindless, agile robot. I must iterate. God! <laughs> As we talk about software engineering, software quality, leadership, and whatever else comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, Brent. I'm having a great day. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm me too. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listeners may recall that listened to our last episode, uh, we went off a little bit on uh, UI automation. Would you say that it's accurate, Brent? I went off? That that's ambiguous. I would say we we allowed our inner passions out. <laughs> we did. We did. Yeah. Again, our rants were against UI automation, but we did refer to uh, an enabler of that, which is Selenium, and which. <laughs> To our credit, we said was a super great tool, maybe too good because it enabled people to do dumb things. And then and then stuff happened, and then we got to hear. We did. We did. And we have a very special guest today. A former ThoughtWorks employee. Oh, hold on, hold on. I have to I have to build up to it. I have to create drama and I need some swelling music. By, by the way, episode 103, thank you. Welcome to the yeah. podcast. <laughs> Put a number on it. Uh, former Google employee, former ThoughtWorks employee, current founder, I believe, of uh, Tapster Robotics. But for the context of our episode, we'd like to welcome the inventor of Selenium, Jason Huggins. Welcome, now I Jason. Can say hello. Hi. Now you can say hello. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Uh, Ta-da! Yeah, we are super excited to have you here, and Brent and I are going to sit down and let you know. We'll, we'll ask questions, we'll interact. Uh, you seem pretty nice so far, so we're not expecting any dressing down, but we're really excited to have you here. So thank you again for uh, coming and talking with us today. Thanks. Uh, and I, I suppose um, as, a, as a courtesy to the rest of the world, like th- this lets me... Um, being a guest on a podcast lets me um, not start my own podcast. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't want to uh, contribute to a proliferation of more things in the world. So, what, what part of the world are you in right now, Jason? Right now, I'm in Chicago, uh, just west of the city in my, uh, my house in Oak Park. Gotcha. Yeah, so... And you are both in the wonderful state of Washington. Yes. No, I was just thinking, because yeah, Alan ordinarily is a fantastic technician. I'm, I'm sure he could grease the wheels for you and if you wanted to get a, a podcast going. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think we'd like to start off with, and we'll see where the discussion goes. Uh, this is We have no outline, which is typical for A-B testing. Sometimes we throw a, a little bit of a, of a lean coffee list on the board, but today I'd just like to start with, uh, your re- you listened to episode 102. I did. I'd like to hear your reaction and thoughts and uh, where we were, what you like about it and what you maybe didn't like about it. Got it. So, so um, uh, it's everything you said, I think like the, the, the summary is that um, the punchlines you were trying to get to at the end, I totally agree with. And it's like, I, there's a certain level of like um, a, a lot of the things that were said just triggered a lot of stories in my mind. And I've realized like, wow, like those stories, not a lot of people know those stories, right? Like the project where Selenium came from or, you know, or various things where I realized like, oh yeah, I totally agree with them. Like that was a horrible uh, thing that they, you know, that the team decided to do or, or other times like, no, anyway, it's just like, just, I just full of stories and realized like um, 
some of that context uh, wasn't there. But I was glad some of the stories got through, like the story where the, the name came from, right? Whatever. Anyway. And that was um, I, I, totally I stumbled trying in- to remember. Like, I heard this once. I hope this is true. I, followed, <laughs> I was ready to edit that out if it wasn't. I looked it up while I was right. editing. Right. And so uh, I, there was this book um, called Made to Stick. And ironically, I don't remember much of the book. However, it talks about um, all the different ways uh, why ideas stick. And one of them apparently um, was the, the name of selenium and where it came from. Uh, people who were kind of in the trenches for years with testing the fact that it was there to cure or sorry, to slay the mercury monster. They thought that was very humorous. But, and I didn't realize I was following following uh, a long tradition of people very in a pun clever way or they think they're clever, you know, like naming something after what they think they're going against anyway um <laughs> that's, that's but i that's i stumbled into uh where i read that anyway. I, I stumbled into this i think i saw angie jones uh tweet where she kind of uh oh she was mad at me she, she called you out and i was like oh oh well, what is this and i saw the whole thread and I'm like wow this is blowing up and then like wow okay so listen to the whole thing uh so yeah to be fair yes i did feel triggered a couple times <laughs> uh, or like wow that was a bold statement but then again you know well there's a certain level yeah, of and, and i backed off it's it, i said i and, and the tweet in question like ever all the listeners have seen it, it said reason i hate selenium is because people use shitty selectors and right, really it's right. not selenium uh it's right what it enabled it and yeah right um yeah so this conversation could go in a million different directions but um one of the things I was just thinking, like it's specifically in the context of selectors, right? For me, my my relationship with the Selenium project, um, you know, we we started the project in two thousand four, right? So that's a that's a lot of years, <laughs> right? And yeah. I and I'm not day to day on the project anymore, right? Simon Stewart um, uh, is the kind of leader of the project now, um, and so I'm just kind of the the old guy who next to the campfire who just you know has stories sitting in his rocking chair kind of thing like hey kid <laughs> anyway yeah bugs. Um, why does it work this way right right, right. I or hate- like can you believe this weird sequence of events where you know th- you pushed on this and then all of this other stuff happened on the other side whatever but um I, yeah i don't know whether i should just like super stay above the fray and you know super like general or like go into like really nitty you know like speaking of horrible css selectors let me tell you about that story anyway um <laughs> well so no, so, so jason other- the yeah. first thing i hear is is uh maybe you don't agree with the the details uh or where alan pointed the finger in his tweet but it sounds like you agree with the sentiment yeah okay so so i went back and pulled out some quotes because um and because I wanted to make sure I, I got this right. And, and the thing was, it's like, I totally agree with it, but there's like a context that's missing, right? Um, so what was one of them? Um, is it the one where Brent said UI automation is immoral? Oh, I, I like that line. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kidding. I don't like that line. It definitely was triggered. I mean, I like it in the sense of like, yeah, very memorable, sticky, controversial. But let me, but more um, specifically. So um, specifically, I just to make sure I'm not already being misquoted, I said, I believe I can make that argument. And I stand by that. I was just trying to check you. Side, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, where, where are the exact quote? There's something about the law that the, the context is um, the dev teams and testing teams are separate. And uh, I think you were, what was it? Well, uh, why is UI testing exist? Uh, we have to go through the top layer, blah, blah, blah. Why is that? Because that's where, that's not what they're paid for. Uh, this is because, here's the line. Because there's a separation between testers and developers. Given those worlds, Selenium makes sense. But I'm like, no, get rid of those worlds. And the thing is, I totally agree with that punchline. And so then the context that's kind of missing here is that Selenium came from a project with no testers or no testing team. We were just developers. 
and we were trying to get this app out the door. Um, and there's a whole you know uh, context of like we didn't have any functional testing tool. Uh, we went months uh, with just unit tests, and like we 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 decided after months of headache and frustration, a specific uh, very specific technical problems where things were breaking in one browser and fixed in the other. And, and Brent, you mentioned this, like, hey, in the cross-browser testing context, that makes sense. So at the time, this was like Firefox and IE, IE6. Right. Uh, and Firefox before it was even 1.0, it was like 0.8. Anyway, so that's so we as a developer team with no testing, at, no testers, uh, and no separate testing team, that's why we created this tool. And so, and I've spent my career like kind of avoiding those situations where there's a separate siloed testing team. And I think maybe like where I felt compelled to kind of like, you know, put up my hand and be on the show because I feel like I'm you're arguing for a thing that I've actually I feel like I've spent all my time kind of trying to stay in there like I kind of know about and I feel like you're also in that same spot where there is dysfunction in having these separate teams and you're actively trying to avoid that as well and and bring people along saying like doesn't have to be this way right so in that sense we're like very spiritually aligned right um but what I think I see and it's not so much your words but I think I definitely see this as a trend is uh, people are forgetting that Selenium started as a developer tool, like for developers by developers kind of thing. And I say that specifically because it's kind of an annoying tagline. <laughs> uh, but it, but it's it's ironically like this Cypress team, the Cypress other the testing tool. They're specifically using that as a marketing tool against Selenium. It's like, well, Cypress is this quote unquote, you know, real for real developers, whatever. So there's this weird thing where um, oh, there's this wow. trend <laughs> and, and, and again, like architecturally, it's, it's literally the implement, like everything that was in Selenium one, the, the version that was like 15 years old, everything about Cypress is, um, is how we did that first version. And basically I threw it all away and we merged with Simon's web driver project to make Selenium two. So not only like, do they not know their history? Like they really don't know their history anyway. And the marketing line, like that was my marketing line, which is basically kind of like what punks do when they are trying to, make some noise right but there's but i got some uh criticism at the at the very beginning by creators of other testing tools saying that selenium was too geeky the only kind of selectors we 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 um you actually kind of alan you you mentioned this like you know add a unique id or data id um that was the only thing that selenium supported at the beginning and when people would say that like oh you should support all these other things like i was kind of ambivalent like yeah sure go ahead knock yourself out go do it but when i use this tool i'm going to go into source code modify it make it so there's id tags and Whatever. So, so it came from like this really, like it was actually like really not um, usable by most testers and, and testing teams. And I, and I kind of was actively avoiding kind of working on projects where those like where there was a separate siloed uh, testing team. So, and, what, but, and but what, I had, what I've se- seen though is testing. Sorry, go ahead. No, I see. And then it got out of control. You lost that. Though, yeah, along the way. I, I think what happened right is is uh, that the you know, may, I don't know what metaphor I'm looking for uh, at the moment, but the the. the testers and testing teams are, are getting kind of pushed out of the nest, if you will, right? I kind of look at it like in two different directions. There's a whole bunch of people, they want to stay employed, rightfully so. And so they're pushed into writing more code and writing automation. And that's kind of where where they end up at the Selenium meetups and Selenium conferences because like they're being pushed, either pulled or pushed or whatever to like learn this thing, keep their job. If nothing else, like, you know, learn automation, become a coder. And then there's another side where I think it's totally a fine path, but I think it's a, it, it's maybe harder to find people talking about this and arguing about it at conference things like, things like that. But like a business analyst where you're sitting at a dashboard and like you're looking at like Google Analytics or some kind of thing where you're kind of, you're sitting there with a kind of a clipboard and you're kind of more kind of an, as an analysis to maybe figuring out what needs to get tested. You're not writing code, but you're kind of like looking at the system as a whole. I think that's a totally valid track for 
for testers. And, and I think what's going away is just like people just, you know, sitting there clicking a button, right? Um, right. And, I, and, and unfortunately, those kind of jobs stick around is because management in some level thinks that testing is sitting there clicking a button, right? So they put out a job correct click. We need a button uh, clicker. There's actually, and, so I, I don't know if you're much of a reader. We just, we just met. Have you heard of Nancy Forgren's book, Accelerate? I have not. I am uh, a reader, but I have not read that. Okay. I definitely recommend. It's, it's, it's Nicole Forsgren. Is it Nicole? Oh, I'm Wait, sorry. Oh, wait, Nicole, she uh, she keynoted the uh, the Sauce Conference. Oh, I think a year, you know what? I think ago. I quoted her as Nancy at the webinar yesterday as well. Sorry, it's Nicole Forsgren. I'm just going to call her Doctor Forsgren. I think there I got go. the last <laughs> name memorized. Got it. Anyway, Doctor. Yeah. So yes. she's spent the last four years looking at certain constructs, um, particularly lean and agile type of constructs, but. It's studying it, researching it, and, and this book is sort of the published results of her research. And one of the things that she came out and stated is dev owning the, the testing and the automation of the tests is correlated with positive business outcomes. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, um, test owning and maintaining it is not correlated with business outcomes. Yeah. I, about 10 years ago, uh, left the QA job, went to dev. Uh, I, like, like you, did not have a test team. And I completely, from experience, I completely see why. Right? Once you have the dev team owning it, they uh, don't like, like everyone else, they don't like maintaining test automation. And what you find is that they naturally uh, build stronger test designs to make it easier for them to uh, right. keep the quality high, keep the right. system moving. I, yeah, I guess I, I, I do have to push back just on a little bit, like be an annoying person here <laughs> um, in the sense of like setting up an us versus them kind of dichotomy there. Because I, I feel like I think it gets the clicks and the, and the, and the, and the views, but I think there's a... I'm kind of sitting there uh, imagining someone who's in that testing role um, and through no fault of their own. Well, so, they're, so just, they're there, they're there trying to figure out what's, what's their kind of next move. Right. If, if they're now thinking like, Oh wow. Okay. My role is not going to lead to business success. I'm thinking like, okay, let's not divide. Well, because you're not, don't have the title developer. Like what let kind of like, let's find a way to like, forget the labels for a second. Like let's actually get to that. Okay. What causes business success, right. Regardless of title or role or whatever, like, what can that person do? Like, what's some tangible thing that they so can do? So, if you have an opportunity, I'll do, do a pitch. Go back and listen to uh, the AB testing podcast, say, starting around episode 80. This is actually what the modern testing principles. What was that number again? 80. 80. Right. 80. Start at 80. Oh, vintage. Um, All right. No, so, one of the things that is a big passion for Alan and I is we actually think that the the world is very rapidly changing. We're seeing a lot of studies that sort of agree with this. It, it's even more than uh, what you started talking about earlier where uh, we see, you know, tests as a bunch of button clickers, right? It, it, so that's that's been that's been an issue ever since I've been in this in, in this career. But now we're we're seeing the the reason why I brought up Dr. Forsgren's uh, analysis is it's it, it will further solidify the opinion of folks like that because now we have an expert claiming proof of it. So what Alan and I are doing, we, we actually believe that the, these testers are extremely talented and valuable 
people, but yes. we do see a we do see a threat uh, uh, pending sometime soonish, uh, and, and that could be measured in decades. But we see this rapidly accelerating, and so what we're trying to do is reach them and say, "Hey, start investing in yourself. Start finding a new role." Um, right. You, one of my favorite ways of describing this is you can either be the butterfly or you can be the wind. Uh, we need people to to recognize that this is a possibility. And, hey, uh, if we're wrong, they've invested in themselves and they've grown yeah. themselves. If we're right, uh, then they still – they won't be right. part of the, the – Yeah. Calling, I guess, for lack of a better I, word. I guess where, uh, again, where, where I felt compelled <laughs> to say, sure. hey, okay, let's talk. It, I think it, I, I got kind of that gist of that. It, again, kind of a random metaphor coming uh, out of my brain. Uh, it's like, it sounded like you, you were sitting in a cafe in England complaining about the croissants and saying, gosh, I can't wait to get out of England. Let's get to France and we'll never have to deal with croissants anymore. Right? Because like, <laughs> you know, metaphorically, so croissants are selenium anyway and so there's a certain feeling of like i'm sitting here going like i'm sitting in france thinking like wow i'm surrounded by all these croissants or selenium or whatever my metaphor is i hope it's making sense but there's a certain level of like that these i totally get this whole like encouraging empowering testers but i'm i guess i'm here to say like selenium is on the other side it's on the other side right (laughs) uh it's it's there um and uh i guess that was the point so i guess the show's over now (laughs) <laughs> oh no 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 there no. are croissants in france is what i'm trying to say i'm getting hungry i, I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm working okay wait who's the croissant is selenium the croissant what selenium are we saying? Croissant. <laughs> you were saying like once we, if we can just get rid of the selenium oh. stuff and get testers into like more like awesome like like follow these principles right then then no more selenium and i'm here to say like well actually when you're following all those principles selenium came out of that environment oh yeah yeah so w- i don't if 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 what we said last episode got interpreted that way, right. yeah, that's false. But um, but I think, but I also kind of agree in the sense of, and I think this is the true of like any, dare I say, it, like popular thing, right? Like selenium's popular, but like so are like PHP, right? Like it, any kind of popular language or framework or whatever. Eventually, um, there's a lot of low hanging fruit to make fun of, right? Because there's so many people doing bad things with it, and so that there's a certain level of like this is it just. It, well, it's, a, it's a big target, right? So let, let, um, let's make sure that everyone listening is on the same page. I think all of us agree Selenium is a great tool. And I think all of us agree several great tools will encourage really bad ways of using them. Right. Metaphorically, croissants are made with a stick of butter, and that'll super spike your cholesterol, so you shouldn't actually eat croissants. But they're delicious. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Butter. <laughs> well, if croissants were originally in, by the way, the title of this episode is going to be "The Croissants Are Selenium." I think. <laughs> I, I, I think that has. To I, be I hope this metaphor makes sense. But, but they're really, but they're really bad for you. You should have, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's like saying the croissants are. I mean, the croissants came out of a place where they were for a certain type of people, and they've been adopted now everyone's eating the croissants and they're eating them wrong. When, <laughs> when, when, they're eating them all the time. Maybe is the, is the, maybe they're eating them too much. Right. You're supposed to eat croissants at the proper time and coming out of the environment you built it out of. And we'll try people are like, what? <laughs> um, and our French listeners uh, are going, what? These guys are so wrong. <laughs> uh, 
Ooh la la. The croissants are a lie. Okay. All right. Next time. <laughs> okay. anyway, I won't bring up uh, food right before lunch. Sorry. Yeah. I guess our argument is that we're highly aligned on the, like where Selenium came out of. And I think developers that use Selenium use it very responsibly and well. Like if you're a developer and you end up – best way for me to test this is through the is via the web page. I'm going to go do this. And you end up – you would never settle as a developer for going, yep, this selector looks fine. You would go add an ID for it and and make the code look good. The problem is 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 mentioned this before is that what's happened is Selenium is being used as a way for testers to learn to code, to write code, to when working in a siloed environment sometimes. They mm-hmm. end up being totally happy. Like this is this is the way you do it. You write selectors like this. I just right click and copy out of out of Dev Tools, and I get this thing that looks like uh, gibberish. Right. But that's how I write my automation, and it ends up being super fragile. And by by that automation being fragile, they now have a job maintaining automation, and now their entire job is maintaining automation. And we think that's a really really bad thing. Right. Let me let me add. Yeah, and that's where I think I agree. Totally agree. So Jason, you said that the current the, the selector model that Alan's referring to wasn't a feature when when it was still in your control. Uh, right. I mean, I mean, if you go back to I think the very first, I'm not sure if even CSS selectors were even a spec back in 2004. I know <laughs> someone's someone's going to uh, look that up and see when it came out. I wouldn't be surprised like 2007, 2008 or something like that. At the the moral equivalent uh, or the immoral equivalent of CSS selectors was XPath at the time. That was the first thing that I think maybe one of the, the next things that came after. No, that's um, so when I was using Selenium, that's what that's what I was doing. And right. it drove and, me batty. Right. And I, I given your uh I, I I could guess why. Yeah, because uh, it was uh, XPath was like native code in Firefox and Safari and all the t- all the browsers except Internet Explorer. And so we had to emulate XPath um, selector uh, kind of stuff. We had to use a JavaScript library in IE, which meant like I think it increased the time of execution by like a hundredfold or something ridiculous, right? And anyway, so like the, yeah. um, can I share a story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. So, so there's this one thing where Alan, you were kind of pointing out of like, yeah, just like, well, you should use IDs. Like the one thing I, w- I felt very triggered was like, there was this one time when I was at Google and I was talking with the Google Maps team and they were uh, using XPath to get um, uh, to all of the, they were actually, they were testing Google Maps, obviously, but there were all the map tiles, you know, like go from one location, location to the other. And there's all these different kind of, how do you test um, a global map tool? It's a very specific case, but also there's some crazy corner cases, right? And I, I just went in there as I usually do and say, well, if the XPath stuff is working is not working, don't use it. Put ID tags um, everywhere and just test that. And they're like, if we add an ID tag to every map tile at every elevation, we will increase the storage required for Google Maps by like you know five ten x or something. And that was already a pretty big number to start with, right? So I realized, oh, okay, that's bad advice. Um, and so we through process of kind of elimination, they realized they had to use XPath. There was no other because they couldn't instrument the code. So you know, that was part of like one of my jobs when I was there of like just helping them figure out how to make things go go faster. You know, it didn't cross anybody's mind. Like, let's just not test it with Selenium. We're doing any browser testing. There was a certain level of like, you know, it's given that we will do this browser testing. Their specific problem, though, is like because once they run it in IE, the tests were taking forever. But they ended up having to get to the closest location before you jump into all the map tiles where you kind of get to like its parent element like a div or something like that and then from there then you start navigating 
children and like go forward three steps to go to the left, back up one. And that's that was the, the selector. And it was super annoying. I think the project years later. So anyway, end of random anecdote with of Google Maps. But like it's a problem. And sometimes you can't really do the right thing, I guess. But we jumped to kind of recommending CSS selectors years later because for one, under the hood, um, in whatever version of IE came out, it was also natively implemented. Um, and so if you switch to that, we didn't have to kind of shim in a JavaScript library uh, to do that. So like people just naturally moved from XPath to CSS. But, but, but again, either way, either of those things are not ideal. Ideally, you would go after some kind of unique tag to make it like super clear. Anyway, but it really came down to like the browser implementations and what was faster. It, over time, CSS selectors kind of became faster. But yeah, uh, people, when they, when they start doing kind of like find the parent element, go fi- go down five children. It, it becomes very much like a, you know, you're telling instructions to someone who's blindfolded, like, okay, turn left, go forward three paces, turn right. Like that's, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that won't, that won't scale. No, the thing is, is... But if, but if you're on the Google Maps team, then you might have to do that. Well, no, no, no. I mean, for every rule, there's exceptions that are valid, right? right? And the thing I'm wondering right now... And we kind of did last episode under the assumption it's dominant. But the thing I'm wondering right now is the CSS style, the way everyone automates with, with Selenium. No, it's it, not the way everyone automates. Is it dominant? So, oh, oh. Th- actually, I, I would love to ask you this. So so you were saying like um, tools can enable like gold or uh, – I forgot to write it down. But basically crap, like you can probably. do an awesome thing or <laughs> you can do kind of crap. Right. Right. But a different kind of tool can maybe add some safety rails there so it actually kind of prevents the ability to do that bad thing, right? Completely um, agree. So in that context, I'm curious, like, should was it a mistake to put the CSS selectors in there or or it would it be an improvement? I don't know how to phrase this question, but, like, if we have an opinion on the correct way to do it or the, you know, the incorrect way to do it, let's say CSS selectors, should, should, should CSS selectors as a op- way of finding elements, should that be removed from the tool? If it gets abused so much, should that be removed? It can't at this stage because I think whether it's dominant or not, there are – we all agree that these siloed test teams, these separate test teams are not a great way to make software. But I think that's where Selenium is being used a lot and these teams – sometimes the only way for them to – Sometimes they don't even have an option to communicate with the developers and ask right. them which to is ask just the ID sad. Tags. That is yeah, very sad. Yes, yeah, it, it breaks my heart. It's sad. Well, the the one I'm more worried about is the one where where there's a negative relationship between the test and dev teams. Um, right. Dev is not adding the device IDs, and we get feedback along those lines. Right. Um, and test will says okay well screw you i'll go with css or a style right. sheet approach and and work around right. the fact that you're not helping us do the right and thing. of course it's a missed opportunity to ask the question of like well should we even have tests at all right or at least at this level right yes oh uh, oh yes <laughs> yeah. it, i was setting you up for like for you to totally sh- i was setting up the straw man <laughs> you didn't take my bait <laughs> well, well no I, I was thinking about it earlier so i'm going to ask you this question uh and actually, this is really good because we can talk about the origins of Selenium again. And and these stories are all great. You can just you just tell random stories about Selenium as much as you want. We'll fit them in. Uh, right. But the question I want to ask is, work with development teams using Selenium. My hypothesis and my experience, anecdotally, is that is that when dev teams own those Selenium tests, 
they're actually very good about writing only the tests they need versus trying to automate right. everything right. with Selenium, right. which unfortunately these we see more often these silo test teams, what they try right. and do. Uh, right. So how did what are some heuristics you use to figure out what you would test in Selenium and what you wouldn't? What I would test with Selenium, what I wouldn't. Um, I used to give little talks about this and trying to mentally remind myself of all my little more. slideshows. Um, the, the number one thing would be, I think well, there's like failure modes, right? That some Someone kind of gets super enthusiastic and they basically test anything that moves, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got lots of opinions on this, but I can also kind of go back to um, what we did originally, like why it existed. Wait, it was wait, specific- wait, Jason, why yes. would we not test the things that don't move? Whoa. Yeah, right. Okay, you just broke my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ignore that question. Yeah, fair um, enough. <laughs> so it started as a reg- – it really was for from a regression point of view. Uh, the very specific thing – I call this like this, the sine wave of quality where um, the the reason why it was basically pencils down, screw this, we are going to solve this problem, and then Slendium came out of it, was um, this this dumb little button in Firefox is working, and then it uh, – and then it, someone did something to it forgot what it was, but they would break it in Internet Explorer. And so the the bug report would be, it's broken in IE, fix it. So they go and do that. They push it in, we push it to production, and ta-da, of course, they've now broken it in Firefox, right? So the next week, we support, we put in a bug saying, Firefox is broken, uh, this little button in Firefox is broken, fix it. So they go in and fix it, when they test it in Firefox, we push it to production, and what, what happens? It's now broken in IE. So there was this, like, we were not making any progress, and we were re-regressing, right? Um, and, and so I kind of, I forced this as a kind of like a no retreat, kind of like, um, sometimes there's a different metaphor, like a ratchet, like you're kind of moving up and up on like a roller coaster, right? It keeps, it keeps you from backsliding, right? But no, it sounds so like I wanted you were to on have a merry-go-round. A, what was that? It said, it sounds like you were on a merry-go-round. <laughs> or the yeah. caffeine is just finally kicking in. Right? Yeah. Um, the, uh, it was just, yeah, right. Oh, right. The project felt whatever. It was a circle. Time is a flat circle, right? Uh, it was very frustrating. And so um, I kind of went with this observation, if you will, not an opinion, just observing the team collectively that um, you tell them to fix it in Firefox, they fix it in Firefox because they're de- good developers, but they're not covering every base. And so we said, like, let's automate this for one. And then two, like, let, let's solve it. So so over time, over the first couple of months of Selenium kind of being on the project, we were finding little cases like that where we're, we're, we were kind of sort of backsliding, like we fix one thing, but we break something over there. And so initially, the, basically the test names were kind of tracked to like whatever random regression bug ID that they were linked to, right? And I don't see this actually a lot in a lot of teams. They, they kind of are more uh, upfront, right? So like, here's a feature, Let's what's the automated test for that feature? And, and there you go, right? So over time, we eventually as new features were being created. Again, because the Selenium project came, there were six months of development before we had any user interface tool, which of course is kind of potentially mind-blowing of like, like maybe that was a good thing. I don't know, like maybe maybe all projects should go six months and then do Selenium tests later if they, like maybe they're like, maybe that's the prognosis. Like don't do anything day one, wait three months and then see if you need it, right? Um, I don't know. But the other thing, eventually we added like new feature tests um, but we got a lot of value. I got personally as like the project manager of this thing, like, and whatever, like I could finally see the team was not backsliding. And so kind of from regression testing point of view, but also like in that context of like cross browser regression testing, making sure that when you, we were specifically doing something on one browser, we weren't inadvertently breaking something on the other side of the room. Right. And I kind of, I get value on that. But in that bigger context of what you're asking, like, right. Um, kind of 
we there was a million other kinds of ways that we could do it, but you know, given that we had limited resources, we kind of focused on those kinds of tests that we thought were the most useful. Um, when I give kind of this little speech to other people, I also kind of say like, if you're going to write tests um, ahead of time, uh, or actually it doesn't matter the context, but, but if you're going to like just start from zero, what would you test? And one would be like the the money path, I call it, right? The there's some path. Well, one step one, uh, whatever you're doing, hopefully it's making money. If it's not solve that problem. <laughs> Don't go write a bunch of Selenium tests if your startup is The you know, more we automate, and... the more we'll make. No. Right. And so like, <laughs> A, find money somehow, you know, either profit or grants or however you want to do it, right? And then there is a money path, right? So maybe don't spend so much time uh, writing an entire framework around, you know, changing the, the color settings or your header profile or your, but, but there is a, a, play, a, a path where people can swipe a credit card and give you money and sign up for the thing, right? So if you're going to start somewhere, focus on that. And then you kind of build things around it. Sometimes there's this metaphor, it's not my metaphor, but very cliched, like it's kind of like a paving the cow paths, right? Where you kind of look where people are going and then that's where you figure out where to put the si- the concrete for the sidewalks. Oh, I great. look at that, but it's also like following where, where people, wh- what, like what's the most valuable path through your application and start there. Eventually, maybe over time you, you go to the, the, the lesser used paths. But again, if it's kind of a focused developer team, maybe they don't get to it. So you touched on something I want you to set me straight on if needed, uh, probably needed. Uh, I haven't used Selenium in about three years, uh, but the last project I used it on was a, a project using Angular back at Microsoft. And we had, and again, kudos to Jim Evans for trying to make that IE web driver work. I think he's done some great work. I'm not sure where that was at the time, but we had a really hard time with our Selenium tests, getting them to run across Chrome, i.e. Firefox, and Safari. Right. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate, right? Because it was started to be that, right? So it's like it's not living up to its raison d'etre. If, if that was like in that moment, like it, it needed to be a cross-browser tool. Yeah, because that, that's where we see, uh, like the story you described, like if you want to make sure these elements continue to work uh, right. across browsers, super right. powerful. But uh, there is a parallel universe here. Like, so there's from like a you know correct way uh, as you, like if I'm meditating on that phrase of like they solved the wrong problem really well, right? One way that we could have solved that problem well in a completely different way is um, John Resig created the jQuery um, project, right? Mm-hmm. Same uh, goal was uh, JavaScript is super buggy cross browser, and so it created one API that if you write to the jQuery API then you've solved your cross-browser problems. Very elegant solution to the same problem, completely different context, right? So, so like, there's a different kind of recommendation there, right? Is not so much use jQuery, but there's a certain level, like, find ways to avoid the cross-browser testing problem without necessarily throwing all the weight at at the Selenium level or the testing level, right? Maybe there's a different framework you can use or... Or just give up, quit, <laughs> go, go hiking across the country and give up all. No, I mean, it, I, I'm actually thinking, so there's, I, I see a move. I don't know if this is going to take off, but I see a lot of browser companies basing on on Chrome now. And I, and I wonder if essentially that st- sort of standardization is going to keep pushing forward in, in to what degree that will eliminate yeah. cross browser? I, I, I sadly am. I, um, I don't want to speak for you guys, but like, um, 
there's a certain, I guess I've, I'm, I've now at risk of being that guy who's seen this, the business cycles. And now I'm in the corner saying, we've done this all before. Like, like basically the uh, like, note one, no one listens to that guy, but the, but the person that guy or girl is also totally right. Right. Like where everything is a fad, <laughs> everything's been done before. There's a certain level of like, so, so if, if nothing else, like to your point, like there's kind of browser consolidation, everyone's kind of like choose, like go getting on the bandwagon. It's all going to be Chrome. I would look at it saying like, well, inevitably, Google will become like Microsoft and uh, realize it has all the power of the universe and go super evil. And then naturally, some Firefox-like thing will come out of that and, you know, punch the air, like shake their fists, kind of like give a brave heart speech and say, Google is evil. We're going to do this other thing. And it'll effectively, you know, there'll be another 10 years, 15 years of the Firefox. There'll be a new Firefox that will fight the old evil Chrome, like it, this is like inevitable, right? So I'm not too worried about Chrome, like a kind of a monoculture around Chrome, because if it gets it, it, if it gets too much of a problem, it will then history will repeat itself, and then there will be kind of um, a blossoming of a bunch of options. But right now we're in kind of a consolidation mode, and that's just I don't know. I, I guess I, I just look at it, it's like I guess it's maybe a problem, but I'm not so fired up about it. But gotcha. Magically somehow it'll solve itself in ten years. I guess is what I'm trying to say. In hindsight, I'm wondering, I have two thoughts in my head. I'll see if I can keep them straight. But one thing I'm wondering is if those Selenium tests we had were just, I mean, they were they were fairly simple, but maybe too complex. Maybe what you want to test there is for cross, for cross-browser compatibility, I'm wondering if there is some heuristic around writing simple tests. And the simpler the test is or the, or the less crazy you try and get, maybe the more apt that test is to run successfully yeah. across browsers. I mean, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, we could, you know, put my, you know, put a consulting hat on there. Like I'd love to dive down and specifically see the lines of code and see that like, why is it working here and not there? Yeah. Um, and, and to but be generally, fair, yeah, simplicity is, years and there's so that? much since I tried it and there's so much progress on all fronts on the web driver projects that it's, the, yeah, no, no, thanks to me. Ab- absolutely not. Like this is all, <laughs> all thanks to Jim and Simon. And yeah, there's a million other people yeah. that are like day to day in the trenches working on the project now. The other thing, other thought in my head is because of the Braveheart quote. I, now I'm wondering if that's where the Brave browser got their name from. I don't know. <laughs> Which Braveheart quote? <laughs> oh, I was just, I was just imagining, uh, in my mind, I was just imagining, uh, was it, I'm blanking out of his name, but uh it, the actor Mel Gibson, like just standing on his horse, uh, just encouraging people to go into battle. Uh, and now I can't even remember why I was saying. Anyway, but um, <laughs> it was the rallying cry. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, someone's going to have some rallying cry. Saying we need to fight these browsers. Whatever. Where were we? You're asking two <laughs> old guys who can't remember where, where they where they parked their cars. I don't know. Well, right, no, right. so the one thing that Jason started talking about reminded me I, of. I can just send so many people rolling their eyes listening to this right now. But anyway. <laughs> we expected a fight. Um, no, uh, the I am the steel. I am the top Google search for steel cage knife fight. By the way, I want to point that out. You are why? Oh, well, see, that's funny story. So, <laughs> so everyone, stop what you're doing. Google the phrase steel cage knife fight. Uh, and the story there was this was the Google test automate. I totally cut you off, Brent. I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. Story time. Um, this was the Google Test Automation Conference 2007. So this is Google's second uh, test conference. And there's a whole awesome backstory on even why Google did this test conference for a couple of years. And some, I've got some conspiracy theories on why they stopped doing it. But anyway, um, not important to the story. So, so I'm there um, in New York City. Um, and I was drafted in to give a talk to replace a speaker. At that time, I was a Googler. I'd been there at, like for six months. Simon, 
Stuart was still at ThoughtWorks, and I had just left ThoughtWorks like the year before. Um, he was there to present WebDriver. Um, and I had seen WebDriver when we were both at ThoughtWorks a year earlier. Um, and anyway, so I was ready to um, kind of like not be impressed <laughs> uh, by by his talk. And um, and also there were a lot of Selenium talks at, the, at, at, at GTAC. And also I was like super awkward and weird about it, right? Because I didn't realize it was being used that much. Um, Anyway, so I was sitting through Simon's talk and I realized he had fixed, like I'm kind of sitting there with crossed arms thinking like, okay, waiting to take notes and shoot everything down. And he had fixed all of the problem, every conceptual, architectural, whatever you want to call it, idea that I was against WebDriver and how he did things. He fixed all those problems and it was awesome and brilliant. And in an instant, as I'm watching his his talk about WebDriver, I realized this is it. This is the this really is the Selenium killer. Like this is all this is all the things I would wish we could do in a future version of Selenium. So then I had kind of a choice there of like it could either be like my new best friend, or I could find some weird passive aggressive way to like super hate on him, right? Because like he's clearly made the better tech. So this these were like our presentations, right? The other footnote to history, my my talk was I I created an AWS account two days before and got access to like 20 machines in the cloud and uh, I, I wondered if I could run a browser test in the cloud. I thought that would be interesting. And this is like 2007, right? So that was actually, AWS had only been around for maybe six months or a year at that point. So this was like a new thing in the world. Anyway, side note to that thing. But the reason why Steel Cage and I fight, long story long, they were lightning talks at the very last day. And so I proposed kind of as a way to in, encourage this, uh, he's either figuring out whether he's my new best friend or my new enemy. I proposed doing a dueling lightning talk where um, we would both talk about Selenium and WebDriver as a kind of kind of set it up as a debate, kind of like in Lincoln-Douglas debate or something like that, whatever. But the, with the caveat where I would have to argue for and against WebDriver, and he would have to argue, or, or something like four, I would have to argue for like five reasons why WebDriver is awesome and Selenium is horrible. I, that would be my side. And then Simon would stand up there and give re five reasons why WebDriver is horrible and Selenium is awesome, right? So we would like flip sides arguably whatever okay. anyway so the thing was that that conversation and i can't believe we went we you know he went along with it and we did this thing but there was like a lot of haha i'm serious kind of conversations of like well what if we merged projects right what if we joined forces uh, and so that it kind of started at that um you know gtac 2007 new york city that's where web the web driver like the idea of web driver joining this learning project started and it started with kind of like yeah this very um uh, kind of joke of an idea of like, let's do a steel cage knife fight where of course it comes out that we're just all friends. Right. No, I anyway. think that was brilliant, but uh, particularly, you know, if you felt beforehand that web driver was the better product, which is what I heard, right. You're like, well, hey, let's set up the game. So I win. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there was, a, there was a specific idea that he implemented that, um, that I, I kind of like, Oh, that was the wrong idea. Um, there was something in the water, uh, like uh, with um, there's an older framework idea called FIT, Framework for Integrated Testing. Ward Cunningham, more famous for creating, it. I remember it. right, right, more famous for creating Wikipedia, and, or sorry, not Wikipedia, but the wiki. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, but then there was other projects that are out there where they're kind of running with this idea, and even with the first version of Selenium, also kind of ran with the idea for implementing FIT. That, my first, my one and only maybe email to Ward Cunningham was like, has anyone done fit for JavaScript? If not, great, I'm going to go do that, right? So that that was like part of its tagline. And I realized at some point later, like, wow, that was a that was a like a, a bad idea <laughs> to, to do that, especially if it's a developer tool. Like if you're writing a developer tool for developers, they would rather write in Python or Java or C Sharp or whatever. They don't want to write in HTML tables or something like that, right? It was kind of ridiculous. God, no. um, 
but but there are other frameworks that are still out there um, that still use that. And when I when I first saw we, uh, Simon's first implementation of WebDriver, he was also uh, kind of doing that first kind of user interface or facade into it was like a fit like we had to write your tests and tables and we're like ah man here we go again but it, when he gave that uh, presentation in new york he got rid of all of that he just got to the, like the chocolatey goodness of mm. of the stuff and, and the like just footnote to history but the specific thing was selenium one like at that time the state of the art for selenium everything was emulated in javascript again same way the cypress is implemented now just all injected javascript in the browser and simon solved it kind of at the operating system level where you would um ask the operating system to click a button or something like that so so as far as the browser from the browser's perspective perspective the events were more native um and less flaky or something like that anyway i'm getting super in the weeds here but um (laughs) where were we (laughs) one thing i wanted to mention and then uh i'll ask for probably some closing comments from you or everything we can get to i went to Maybe the last, I think it was the next to the last uh, GTAC conference. Yeah. And ironically, if I'm, I'm, I may actually be using that word correctly in this case, or yeah, I nicknamed it the Flaky Test Conference because every mm. single talk had some flavor of talking about how to deal with flaky tests. Right. And I think it's just, just interesting that came up in my head uh, yeah. while you were talking. About I, I don't know why you need to, I mean, it's one slide. Just says the word delete. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. What I what I find fascinating was like why Google st- started the, the, the that series of conferences. Uh, it was re- the first one was LTAC, so it was the London Test Con- Automation Conference. Uh, Alan Hutchison, based in the New York, uh, or sorry, in the London office, did there. Um, and here's the thing about the whole GTAC conference. Secretly, it was oh. What they were finding was that it's really hard to find people like developers who kind of are interested in testing. So this was a way of like flushing people out in the world of like to self-identify um, as like people who are like just totally geek out on this stuff, right? It's really hard to find that that developer, uh, test-minded developer, if you will. Um, so it, for a couple of years, it was secretly, secretly, <laughs> very secretly on the lowdown, kind of a, a recruiting effort for Google, right? At some point, the cat was out of the bag and it became obviously a recruiting thing. So why would people then send their employees off to a Google conference to then just be poached and then leave, right? So once once that was obvious, it was impossible. Who's going to who's gonna go? If you're not already a, a Googler, like why would you send your employees there, right? But there was a good couple of, there was some beautiful years there at the, at the beginning where there really wasn't a developer really geeky, really nerdy in the weeds, like let's like just tons and tons of code developer-focused testing conference. The other kind of context here was like, I didn't even know when we started Selenium that testing was a profession, that there were books, that there were conferences and all kinds of things like that. So kind of leading like informs, and I would only go to developer conference like JSConf or, or uh, PyCon or things like that. Only after a couple of years, I finally like went to like testing conferences like Star East, you know, Star West or uh, SDPCon, things like that. But, uh, but Alan was specifically trying to find developer test-minded developers, if you will. And, and he felt like there wasn't a lot of like real, like in the weed, gnarly geekiness. Like, so like to fix a flicky I, test, I yes, think, you could delete it. I think it. in 2007, I completely agree with that. I think, I don't what think that's, that? in, back in 2007, like 12 years ago. Yeah, the, I, I completely agree with that, that. Right, the separation of roles was was a big thing at a lot of companies. Microsoft still had a mm-hmm. test team, right? For sure. They had... Almost 10,000 testers at that time. So finding test-minded developers. As a matter of fact, 
uh, I think 2007 is even sort of pre the dominance of TDD and and sort of design constructs that that now are very popular in the industry. Yeah. So I, I I don't think that world exists today. I wonder how often or to what degree I'm right. I'm thinking uh, again, putting myself in the, uh, the 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 seat of the listener here, and I'm just thinking, like, listening to myself tell all these wonderful, cool stories, which I thought was a good idea. Maybe it is. I don't know. Probably not. But I'm thinking, like, okay, was there any actionable thing <laughs> going forward? Like, okay, now we know what the industry was like a couple of years ago. Like, yeah, now what? So what? Okay, go eat croissants. That's the the moral <laughs> of this story. Oh. <laughs> well, so so actually, yeah. It it so it's time for us to close. But why don't you? Uh, here's a suggestion, Jason. What's your, what's your? Do you have any regrets around how selenium is being used today, or do you have any guidance around how? So again, I mentioned. I think I can make an argument. It's immoral, or it's UI automation to some degree is immoral. And yes, that's hyperbole. But I, I think all three of us know that 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 is non-trivially true when we look at it from a business context anything you want to mention on that regrets like is there one thing if you had an audience to tell testers uh hey please stop doing this with my baby what would you want to say (laughs) oh man (laughs) and that could be anything uh, it doesn't have to be even related to what we talked about today I guess I would just say yeah, web testing is just so yesterday. It's all about robots right now. <laughs> so, Stop. <laughs> I, I really, I, I, you know, I've got, I've got a lot to say on that stuff, but I'm, I don't know how to put a bow on that. There's a certain level of like, um, I'm that dangerous engineer who, you know, that whole, like, you know, they spent so much time figuring out how they could do it. They don't they didn't spend enough time deciding where, figuring out, you're know, spending enough time thinking about whether they should. Right. Uh, I put myself in this role where it's like, where I look, I get motivated when someone tells me something is impossible. Selenium came from a, a time where people said it's an, it is impossible to test JavaScript, right? I, and I rejected you. that. And so Selenium came from like the massive motivation was like, ta-da, here it is. Here is a tool that can you can use to test JavaScript, right? Um, I wanted to win that argument. Um, it's a completely different argument, but it needs to happen on whether you should. I want to kind of take off the table. You shouldn't do it because you can't do it. I feel like that is not a great argument it, it can it can shut down conversations for sure but i don't like that i would like to, i would rather encourage people to say assuming we can do it and assuming we can totally do it well we can solve that problem really well you know should we be solving that problem right and it, it just like find like and this is where we totally agree like find that higher level uh above the browsers like should we be writing a web app should it be a mobile app should we be making an app at all right uh like try to find that and maybe some of these decisions kind of come out of it so you mentioned robots one of one of our listeners asked a question on slack the other day and and one of the opinion hey specifically do we think ai is going to kill selenium Hmm. now um, i essentially said a very long worded version of not anytime soon right Uh, but what's your thoughts so this is interesting no, I don't think it will, because uh, it's like an overhyped word that like <laughs> means everything and nothing right now. So like, there's no way anything could possibly live up to the type, right? Unless by killing selenium, it kills you know half the planet, and therefore <laughs> some kind of like doomsday terminator scenario. We're like, well, yeah, technically as an afterthought, afterthought, right? It, it 
after effect, whatever. Um, yep. So a couple of years ago, I, I had this idea and I guess I didn't think to put AI in the word of it because it wasn't this buzzword thing. But I thought like, you know what definitely needs to stop happening is people spending their whole day staring at a at the Selenium API and trying to figure out how to craft the perfect test. And I thought it would be more useful use of time to maybe look at Google, Google analytic, analytical data, see where, like basically that's that cow paths metaphor. Yeah. Um, find where people are going, which kind of means like put stuff out in production and see how people are using it and then use that to inform how you should test, but then take it one step further. If it now, like if there's like this path that's emerging because you've kind of instrumented things, why don't you just have that spit out the Selenium test suite for you, right? It, it's effectively converting a log file to a Selenium test. And then taking it one step further, like not even like doing anything with, like you could stop there and say, okay, download your Selenium test suite and install it into your CI. But how about you go one step further beyond that and it automatically runs basically today's production code against uh, to, like the, the mod, the, the, your newest version that's in source control, but you haven't pushed to production yet, right? And so you, then you start doing kind of like a, an A-B test, if you will, of like, okay, you know, production, we had roughly this number of paths to sign up for credit cards and whatever, run all effectively this log data against our production candidate. And as long as things aren't grossly out of bounds, then that's like, it, it vaguely seems like we, we've tested things, like or we haven't broken anything and um, push that to production. And it basically get to a point where no one opened an IDE and looked at the Selenium or the WebDriver API and wrote a test. Like the system wrote those tests. There is, <laughs> there is no. a patent out there. Uh, it's called, um, I thought it was rather clever, uh, analytics-driven development. So I patented ADD. Um, <laughs> and, and it's this idea we that you would you. take you take this <laughs> analytical data and you would generate test cases and then use those automatically to, to test your stuff that's out there. Yeah, and yeah. and I would argue that, well, that's like a machine learning algorithm. That That is AI. And and so does that kill Selenium? No, like under the hood, you would still have some um, automation engine that would run steps that automate a browser. So that doesn't go away. And if but, anything but, else, but, because... But the human screwing it up does. May, yeah, maybe. But you're going to screw things up in awesome new ways. Yeah, right? <laughs> so it ends up being like like all, like all technology. It will now be it's like pushed down into a lower level of the stack that we're like barely aware of. And... You know, there's these metaphors about like you know leaky abstractions or something. It'll be something like we're almost like compiling to assembly. It's it's there. If someone super wants to geek out, they might have to pop the hood and go down there. But people will be spending all their time kind of manipulating uh, machine learning kind of data sets of like, oh, how do we replicate production data before we before we push to production? Like, oh, well, let maybe find. There'll be all these arguments about how do we basically coach her like again from a cow paths metaphor. How, how can we maybe herd these virtual animals, whatever you want to call it. How, how can we modify, how do we create these data sets? How do we encourage this AI that is like almost like an, uh, not so much an artificial intelligence that can go back in time and kill us, but maybe like it's like a puppy or, or some sheep. Like how do we modify these AI things into kind of testing their software the way we want them to? But under the hood, the engine that it will be doing to do its thing will be Selenium or WebDriver, right? But will people be writing Selenium tests? Like, I'm not convinced that people will be. But they'll need to be able to read them because if the AI spits out total garbage, someone will have to go in there and fix it. Just like today, someone somewhere has to go into some source code and modify COBOL because, like, the IRS or Social Security like couldn't 
print checks last week. Like that code's still there, but most of the time you don't care about it. It'll it'll hopefully just work. Um, so maybe <laughs> maybe Selenium's future is that it's like it's it's like COBOL. It's everywhere, but you don't care until you don't get paid. <laughs> so I'm going to tweet that right now. Inventor of Selenium says it's just like COBOL. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. These uh, this has been awesome having you on. I love the stories. I think we're. It's good to hear that. Uh, it's good for you not to yell at us and and have, find some agreement there and and point out our, our hyperbole. We appreciate that. Got it. But yeah, uh, I, these I, I, stories yeah. are fantastic. Thank you so much for volunteering to be on our show. Thanks. All right. I'm still Alan. And I'm Brent. Oh, and I'm Jason Huggins. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.